Well, good morning again, Rock Hill. It is so good to see you today. I hope that you have your Bibles. You can open them up to the book of Psalms, Psalm chapter 2. We're in a series called Summer in the Psalms. And we're introducing some new technology. And if it doesn't work, we'll just not use it, okay? So, <clears throat> Psalms 1 and 2. If you took them, they would be serving as an introduction to the entire book of Psalms. Uh, the book of Psalms is divided into five Books. In fact, if you look at the beginning of Psalm 1, right, right above it, there might be a title that says Book 1, Psalms 1 through 41. There's five books in the book of Psalms. So Psalms 1 and 2 serve as, I believe, an introduction to the book of Psalms. Now, if Psalm 1 begins with how happy is the man or how happy is the person or the one who does not do certain things... It is a callback, really, to when Jesus comes upon the scene and preaches the Beatitudes, which we were in a series on earlier this year. He begins that series, or those statements, with blessed, or how happy is the one. Happy are they that hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall have truth. So the, the reality is, is that Jesus will begin, happy are they, or blessed are they. And Psalm 1 begins with how happy, or happy, how, how happy are they. Which or how blessed are they, depending on your translation. And if you think about our world today, there does seem to be a pursuit of happiness. This desire among us to be happy. We've come up with all kinds of mantras. <clears throat> Let me just see if you've heard some of these. Do whatever feels right. And you'll be happy. Uh-uh. <clears throat> Here's another, live your own truth. I, I hate to burst your bubble, but uh, it's either true or it's not true. And if you base the truth all around you, you are now the final authority on all things, which is dangerous. All right. That's why we have marriage. Okay, follow. Follow your heart. Now, the problem is, even in the Bible, it'll say the heart is wicked and deceitful, which you cannot trust. Follow your heart. Well, I don't know where my heart's going. Uh, here's one that I, I love. If you, if you dream it, you can achieve it. Man, I've had lots of dreams. Like flying. I, man, I want to fly. Without the help of like an airplane, I want to fly. It hadn't happened. I've been dreaming a long time about it. Uh, another that we might use that you've heard, do whatever makes you happy. We have used these types of statements in an effort to, I guess, in, in, encourage us to come to the place where we can be happy. Don't worry. Be happy. When I look at the world, when I just pull up a news website, when I think about some of the challenges within even our own Beloved Southern Baptist Convention, I might begin to ask the question, what in the world is going on? I mean, what is happening here? I mean, who's in charge? I mean, I know in the 80s it was Charles was in charge. He wasn't in charge. <laughs> but thankfully, Psalm 2 helps us know who is in charge. Uh, this psalm was written by David. We know this because Peter preached so in Acts chapter 4. So if you get bored Hopefully you won't today. You can go to Acts 4 and you can read what Peter says. But this psalm was written by David. It had some Davidic 
realities, but I think that this psalm is not just about David. It's about someone better and greater than David. I want to show you that today in the text. So Psalm chapter 2, you're there with me. It helps me know that you're with me. Get your Bible journals out. Say word. Why? I love that. I love it when things begin that way. Why? Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers conspire together against the Lord. And his, here it is, anointed one. Let's tear off their chains and throw their ropes off of us. That's what the rebellions say. Verse 4, the one enthroned in heaven, watch this, laughs. The Lord ridicules them. Then he speaks to them in his anger and terrifies them with his wrath. I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. I will declare the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance and the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with an iron scepter. You will shatter them like pottery. So now kings, be wise. Receive instruction, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with reverential awe and rejoice with trembling. Pay homage to the Son or he will be angry and you will perish in your rebellion. For his anger may ignite at any moment. All who take refuge in him are happy. How happy is what the text begins with. How happy. Happy are they, Psalm 1 begins. Psalm 2 shows us a contrasting reality where it begins to ask a question. If Psalm 1 helps us show how someone who delights and meditates in God's law, Psalm 2 is going to show us the rebellion amongst not just a couple of people, but against how everyone is conspired together against God. If Psalm 1 shows us a contrast before the righteous and the unrighteous, Psalm 2 is going to show how all of us have fallen into sin and all of us are in rebellion against God. If Psalm 1 tells us the consequences of those who rebel against God, Psalm 2 tells us the consequences of the nations that rebel. In both situations, God is saying and declaring today, I rule over it all. I don't just rule over an individual, although I do. I don't just rule over the nations, although I do. God rules over all of history. The Christian, therefore, should put their head on a pillow. Not right now, please. They should be able to nestle up into bed at night and put their head on their pillow and sleep well. Because God has the, what, whole world in his hands. Just like he has every individual in his hands. That's why nobody has ever been able to thwart God. And that's why no ideology in the world today can thwart God. Nobody can stand in the way of God's chosen king, which is Jesus. Indeed, we would say that Psalm 2 is a here it is, messianic psalm, a psalm about the Messiah. And I'm going to show you in the text how that's so. But looking at the text today, looking at the world today, you might be able to say it doesn't seem like God's ruling and reigning. It doesn't seem like God's at the throne. It doesn't seem like the Messiah has everything over and under his control, which is why we need this psalm today. It's in four sections or four acts or four parts. And it's interesting because it begins with this question, why? 
I love the why question. Your children love it too. Pick up your room. Why? What do I get out of when I do it? You, you get to live in this house. That's what happens. You, you'll use that later. What's fascinating is that this question is posed not to just one individual. And it's not posed to just one nation. It's to the nations. You see that? Not, not just one individual. Not just one nation. See, it would be easier if it said, hey, why, do, I, I'm just using this as an illustration, so don't email me. Why, why does Russia rage? Why does China rage? Okay, why does, now, now I'm about to duck, why does America rage against me? Why? Why do they do this? These are not contemporaries. Why have they united the nations in order to come together to rage against God? Why have they done this is what God is saying from heaven. But look what he says. He says plot. This is a great word in the Hebrew. You say, well, it's, it, I just see plot. See, this shows us the rebellion that's among us. This word plot is the same word in chapter 1, verse 2. Chapter 1, verse 2 says, how happy is the person who delights themselves in the law of the Lord. And here's the word meditate day and night. That word meditate in the Hebrew and this word plot here in chapter 2, verse 1, it's the same word. You say, well, why are there two different words used? Well, the Hebrew, uh, English does a disservice to Hebrew. Uh, Hebrew has is, is got multi-layers to it. It's like a, a load of nachos. Now you're hungry. Like it's got the, the chips and then the beef with some venison. It's got the cheese and sour cream and beans and corn and salsa, queso. I mean, it is layered, right? So Hebrew, when a Hebrew word is used, it's multi-layered. English is like, eh. So here he says plot. It's the same Hebrew word translated meditate. Here's what, the, here's what the happy person does. The happy person, he meditates, he plots out day and night in God's word. The wicked nations, here's what they do. They plot out in vain. Well, you know what vain, vanity is. Vanity is anything that's idle or empty or meaningless. This is what the nations do. They, they plot out in vain. They, they're after just their own thing. They're, they're in rage against God. And so in verse 2, we hear more about these kings of the earth. They take their stand. Now, take your stand is after you've made a plan. You, you take your stand. And if you're underlining, you can underline that. Take your stand is like showing up in formation. Like the old-time wars, you know, they would, they would literally just line up against one another and go, I think this is going to shoot you. You remember that in the, in the olden days? Some of you were there. In the olden days. <laughs> I'm sorry. It says they, they take their stand and they, they conspire together. Well, who do they conspire against? Look what he says. He says the anointed one. Now this word in Hebrew is really important. That's why I'm circling it for you today. 
Again, this is just to help you see the text in a new way. If this doesn't work in the, in the days forward, we won't use it again. I'm just trying to help you show. See, because in those days, even in the Old Testament, when David was writing this, there were nations gathering together in rebellion against God's chosen one. David was God's chosen one, and, and so he was sitting there. And so we, we see instances where the enemies of David would, were, were enemies. You know, enemy of your enemy is my friend. I mean, so here we go. So they were together, and in 2 Samuel, even verse uh, chapter 10, you have the Assyrians, or the Amorites and the Syrians, excuse me, and they combined forces together to go against God's people. So we, we see this in the Old Testament where this would happen. But this psalm is not just about David. Remember, it's a, it's a multi-layered nacho. All right, so here we go. They, this is not just about David, it's about Jesus. Well, how do you know that? Well, because it's capitalized in your text. Well, some texts don't have it capitalized. The reason why we know this is about Jesus is because the word, what the word anointed is in the Hebrew. The word anointed in Hebrew is Mashiach. Does that not sound familiar? If you're awake, say yeah. Yeah, okay, it's Messiah. So the Hebrew word here is Mashiach. This is the Messiah. This is the talking about Jesus. It's why we call this a Messianic song. The Hebrew word is used, and it's why Jesus says, I am the Christ. And when Jesus refers to him as the Christ, he's not saying it's his last name. I've heard people say, well, Jesus is his first name and Christ is his last. No, 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 no. If you've said that before, I show a lot of compassion to you. No, Christ is his title. He's the Messiah, the anointed one. So when Jesus is saying this stuff, he's not making it up. He's saying, hey, look, I'm connected to Psalms. I'm connected to David. I'm in the line of David. And in fact, in this text, you're not just going to see Messiah here in verse 2. In verse 6, you're going to see that he's the king. And in verse 7, you're going to see that he is the son. So in this text alone, there's three different titles for Jesus. He is the Messiah, he is the king, and he is the son. Now, if you go back to Acts chapter 4, and you can read it later, read it now, whatever. Peter is quoting this psalm. And after he preaches this message, the Sadducees, you remember the Sadducees? Uh, they don't believe in the resurrection, which is why they're sad, can't you see? And so the Sadducees, <laughs> that's a preacher joke, it's worse than dad joke. So the, the Sadducees, they, they didn't like this message of Jesus. And it says in Acts 4 that after Peter preached this, they walked away greatly annoyed. They didn't like the message. They didn't like what he was having to say. Because the apostles were preaching and proclaiming that Jesus' resurrection from the dead was declaring him the Messiah, the anointed one. Because they've conspired together, they've taken their stand, they've got a plot all together, and they're going to work that plan. And they're even saying, we're going to tear off our chains and throw our ropes off of us. We don't want anybody to be our authority. The rebellion here is not in general. The rebellion is specific. We're against Jesus. There was an old story of G.K. Chesterton, and there was a newspaper article that was written, and the article was simply this. It was an opinion piece. They wanted to hear from the people. It'd be like putting it up on Facebook and saying, what do you think, which is always a dangerous moment. But they put out a question. They said, what is wrong with the world Today, that's simply the question. Write in your response. We'll post everybody's response in the paper. And G.K. Chesterton, a, a theologian, but also had some winsomeness about him. I think that's necessary in life. And he writes this. 
In response, what's wrong with the world today? He responded simply, dear sir, I am yours, G.K. Chesterton. What's wrong with the world? G.K. Chesterton said, I'm what's wrong with the world. See, see, we like to forget all the world is sin, for all, for all of sin and falls short of the glory of God. But I think sometimes we think, no, it's their, them that sinned. They're the ones that created this problem. I didn't do anything. We like to save, save our hide a little bit is what we like to say. But I need you to know we've all rebelled against God. We've all rebelled against his son, Jesus Christ. We talked about this last week of even, even the good things that we do are often complicated with complicated motives. The goal of this group is to tear off their robes, to say we don't want anybody else to get into us or to show us anything. We don't want anybody to be the authority over us because divine authority seems like handcuffs to us. We don't want anybody to tell us what to do. I'm my own man. I'm an adult because I'm 18 or 17. Okay. Let me know how that works for you. They want to live their lives like Burger King has discipled us to live our lives. Have it your way. I don't want it my way. So we have the rebellion among us, but then you have the response of the sovereign. Look at verse 4. The one enthroned in heaven, what does he do? Does he, does he gather his archangels and go, guys, 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 what are we going to do? Does he, does he read some internet blogs about what he could do to, to fix this? Does he, does he drink a Red Bull to garner enough energy to be able to do what he needs to do? No, 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 look what he does. Like, like, like here's a picture of this. I'm trying to be contextual, I know. Let, let's just say Muhammad Ali in his prime, and I'm alive then, which I'm not, I wasn't, but Muhammad Ali in his prime, and I walk up to him and say, bring it. I'm going to be concussed pretty quickly. Okay? He would laugh. And he'd probably say something witty because that's just kind of how he was. I wouldn't make it two minutes. I don't think I'd make it ten seconds. He's not wondering what he's going to do. He laughs. God is where he's been for eternity on his throne. And if you want to make God laugh, rebel. Or, as we like to say, tell God your plans. It's the same form of rebellion. Well, here's how I'm going to do this, God. Bless it, Lord. Really? Is that how you want to live your life? God laughs at mankind's attempts to rebel against his authority. They want to tear off their chains. They want to throw off their robes. They want to do their own thing. They want to sing Frank Sinatra's song, I did it my way. What's amazing about this is that he doesn't just laugh. Do you see it here in verse 6? He installs. He is put in his king. He says, you, you, think, yeah, you think that in your rebellion you can throw off these chains. No, 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 I'm telling you, I've already put my king on the throne of Zion. He's already there. He's been there from day one. You're too late. The anointed one, the king, is already on his holy mountain. Jesus Christ is already on his holy mountain of Zion. You can't do anything about it because the king's already on the throne. 
So you see in this third scene here in the verse 7, he says, I will declare the Lord's decree. You are my son. You are my son. God's plan to deal with the rebellion is that the reign of the son's going to happen. I will declare the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Another title of Jesus, the son. Here it is. Jesus is the son of God. Some of your translations may say he's the begotten here. Now, now listen, this doesn't mean that Jesus was created and then became the son. That's not what's being said here. He's not saying that there was a time when Jesus did not exist. Jesus has existed from eternity past. That means before anything was ever made, Jesus existed. We learn this throughout the scriptures. One place that even is in the, the gospel of John. Before there was anything, the word was God. The word was with God. He's referring to Jesus. You see this phrase become or begotten throughout the New Testament. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Hebrews 1, 5. If you read Hebrews chapter 1, it's this reference how Jesus is the better and greater of everything. He's better and greater than all the angels. It references this passage. In Acts 13, 32 through 33, Paul says it was good news for them to bring that Jesus had resurrected. God had fulfilled this for them by raising up his son. As he says, you are my son. Today I have become your father. This is, this is why we, we would sing together, crown him. I won't sing, but crown him with many crowns. The lamb upon the throne. Hark how the heavenly anthems drown. All music, but it's own awake my soul and sing of him who died for me all hail as thy matchless king through all eternity so then he says ask of me and i will make the nations your inheritance the nations have gone to battle the nations have opposed god but he says to him, I'm going to give them as your inheritance. I'm going to give them as a gift to you. The nations that have warred against God are now a gift to the Son. The nations who have gone against the will of God are now going to be gifted to the Son. What this means is that Jesus is not just the King of the Jews. He's the King of kings and he's the Lord of lords over all things. As Abraham Kuyper says, there's not one square inch in all the universe that Jesus doesn't look at and say, mine. Verse 8 brings to mind an important verse to Rock Hill. It's an important verse to Rock Hill. It's an important verse to me when it is said in Matthew chapter 28. You know this verse. When Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been what? Given to me. This is a reference back to Psalm chapter 2 verse 8. Jesus isn't just saying, I, I got all authority. He's like, no, no, I can show you in the text. All authority has been given to me, heaven and on earth. Now, you therefore go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I commanded you. And lo, I'm going to be with you forever. See, the reign of the Son can't be thwarted. And when Jesus says in Matthew 28, he's not just coming up with a bunch of words. Sound nice. He's like, no, no, look, all authority has been given to me. You don't know? Psalm chapter 2. This is why Peter will reference that in Acts chapter 4. He says to them, I'm going to break them with an iron scepter and will shatter them like pottery. 
So things turn here in the last portion. While we have time, while we have time, we ought to submit. While there is time, while there's time, that's what the narrator will say here in verse 10. So now kings, now kings be wise, receive instruction, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with reverential awe and rejoice with trembling. It wasn't just the proud kings in David's time that rebelled against the Lord's anointed. It's been us all. We've all rebelled against God. While your rebellion may look a little different than somebody else's rebellion, you've still rebelled against God. While, while your rebellion may not be as public as somebody else's rebellion, we have all rebelled against God. And if you say, I've never rebelled, then you don't need Jesus. But when you recognize that you have rebelled against God, you go, no, I need Jesus. One of the things we've forgotten, I think, in our day is that we are servants of the Lord. And we're to serve him with reverential awe. I think one of our issues, I know we got a lot of issues. I think one of our issues in America particularly is we've forgotten that we are to worship. Rejoice with trembling. Have reverential awe. I have a confession to make. Y'all like it when I confess things. I was getting on an airplane several weeks ago and I walk up to the TSA. Had no issues except for this. I showed them my driver's license it's a common thing to do. This is who I am. This is me. I live here. This is my number. Here you go. And they look at me and say, sir, we have a problem. And I went, oh boy. Sir, your driver's license is expired. Now, I need to tell you, this is not the first time getting on a plane that I've done with an expired license. Now, the gap of time was about 10 years. But I've done this before. The third time I'll have it right, Okay. But I walk up, and you need to understand that I've looked up the laws. You can still fly with an expired driver's license. But I didn't know my license was expired. Upon finding out, my girls have looked at me repeatedly and said, Sinner, <laughs> you're breaking the law. Driving around with an expired license. You can't do that. They're right. So on the arrival back home, I went to the local DMV. <clears throat> And had just a delightful time. <laughs> Since COVID, some things have changed with the DMV. You, you can't just walk up like the olden days, back in the day when you went to the DMV. I, I, you have to set up an appointment. So I walked in this first time, and of course the girls were all with me, and we had our, our little infant with us. We are four of us in this room, and they go, sir, you don't have an appointment. I said, an appointment? Who wants to make an appointment here? So we go through the thing and they say, uh, uh, sir, you're going to have to uh, prove, you're going to have to prove that you're a U.S. citizen. I said, it's my license. They said, it's expired, it doesn't count. I, what, what do I do? She said, bring a birth certificate. Where's that? Set up an appointment. As early as I could get it, 8 a.m. this last Friday. So fast forward a couple of weeks. I go to the DMV, and here we are. I roll up, 
There's people all gathered outside, so I'm already late, because I showed up right at 8 on time. And they're telling, turning people away at the DMV, this is not going well already. Remember, my girls have been chastising me for being a sinner, for driving illegally. I walk up and she says, sir, uh, the system is down. I said, of course the system is down. Why are we surprised at this? She said, the system is down and uh, we can't take any appointments uh, unless you can verify with the piece of paper that you received some three and a half weeks ago that you are who you say you are and you have uh, evidence of your appointment. I went, it's been too long, y'all. I don't have that paper. So long story short, which I've I've already told the story way too long, I, I show them through text message that I have an appointment. Praise the Lord for technology in this moment. She says, you need to click that link. I click the link, and it goes to a completely blank page. And she says, sir, uh, we can't verify your appointment. I said, but it says. Long story short, they allow me to go in. I was at the DMV the shortest amount of time I've ever been at the DMV. Like less than 25 minutes. But typically when you go to the DMV, it is laborious. Mm -hmm. Right? You're just in line, you're filling out paperwork, you're taking photos, you're checking your eyes, you're going, can I see that? Yes, I can see that. Of course, I memorized it online earlier. So you're, you're <laughs> sitting there, and it's, it is drudgery, right? That's the whole point. You say, why are you talking about that? It's just drudgery. It's bad. I'm afraid. I'm afraid some of us have treated Sunday morning worship corporately like a visit to the DMV. It's what I got to do. Here's my verification that I'm a U.S. citizen. Here's my paperwork. When you read the Psalms and you come to the last Psalms, 146, 147, 148, 149, 150, that's the last of the Psalms. They don't end with, oh, that was pretty good, wasn't it? They're called the Halal Psalms. The the Hallelujah. The word Hallelujah in Hebrew means praise the Lord. So the Psalms are going to be on this little journey through all five of the books of Psalms all the way to this point of praising God. Praise God in the sanctuary. Praise God with tambourine. Watch this, Baptist. And dancing. It's line dancing, but it's dancing. (laughs) Praise God with strings and the flute. Praise Him with cymbals. The last verse of the Psalms says this. Let everything that has breath Praise the Lord. So you shouldn't have to come in on Sunday morning and go, well, they didn't play my favorite song, so I can't worship. Or that sermon was mediocre like normal, I can't worship. I don't like what he had to say about this. Well, why didn't you like what he had to say about this? Maybe, maybe the Holy Spirit is trying to tell you something. That's not me to elevate what I have to say. I'm just saying sometimes you come up to me and say, when you said this, and I go, I don't remember saying that. That's the Holy Spirit at work. And so he says, hey, you should come rejoice, rejoice, rejoice with trembling. Rejoice in the Lord. If you've been saved by Jesus, tasted his grace, repented of your sin, you don't need a particular song. You don't need a different preacher. You need to say, I love Jesus because what Jesus has done for me, because he loved me before I ever loved him. So he says then in verse 12, 
he will say, pay homage, or as some translations say, kiss the sun. You say, that's weird. What's being said here is not some intimacy with Jesus, but it's to pay homage to the king. Why do the nations rage? Why do the world, and what of the world is going on? They refuse to pay homage to the king. There's an urgency of submission to the king. He says, you're going to perish in your rebellion. His anger is going to ignite at any moment. The signs of our times point to the coming of Jesus is sooner rather than later. That doesn't mean that you don't make plans for the fall. That doesn't mean that you rack up your credit card because, oh, Jesus will pay my debt, my both spiritual and physical. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is the first time Jesus came, he came full of mercy to save. The second time Jesus comes, he will come in wrath to judge. Is this not why Paul will say in Philippians chapter 2 that there's going to come a day where when Christ returns, every knee will what? Bow. Every tongue will what? Confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And I'm telling you today, it's quicker and it's sooner rather than later. And even if his delay is imminent, that he is not coming, but it is delayed, you have no guarantee to make it across Highway 31. And Matthew Henry said it this way, those that will not bow shall break. Kiss, pay homage to the sun. Now what's interesting about all this is that Psalm 1 begins with a blessing. How happy are those who do not walk in the counsel of the wicked, stand in the pathway of sinners, sit among the seat of scoffers. It begins with that, a blessing. Psalm 2 ends with a blessing. Those who take refuge in him, they're the happy ones. So for you today, maybe you've not paid homage to the son. Jesus invites you today, why are you rage? Why are you so angry? Why are you plotting? Your plotting is in vain. He invites you now to repent, to admit your sin, to, to believe that only through Jesus you can be saved, and to confess him as Lord and Savior, and you can be saved. But maybe today you've been a follower of Jesus, but man, you've still been plotting. He invites you to repent of that as well. And I get it. It's hard in our day and time to admit when we are wrong. Don't let your pride, don't let your self-preservation, don't let your ego prevent you from getting honest and taking refuge in him. You've been searching for happiness. You've not found it. But those who take refuge in him, those are the ones that are happy. Will you pray with me? Father, we come to you now, and Lord, I'm asking that there may be someone in this room that is not trusted in you as Lord and Savior. May they have the courage whether that be online, to reach out for prayer, or to that be in person, to come forward and talk with one of our counselors to pray. Would you, would you help us to be honest enough with ourselves, but also with you, to repent and to believe today. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to open your word. May we respond to you in spirit and in truth. In Jesus' name, 